Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Lent to all of you this Friday, March the 11th, as the light of Christ shines on us from Matthew 21. We are at the end of this chapter, and we hear another parable. And Jesus even says at the beginning, hear another parable, the parable of the tenants. A master had a vineyard, seems like a pretty fruitful vineyard, and the servants are getting, ah, should we say, testy. Eventually, he says, it sounds like a logical idea. I'll send my son. They will respect my son, surely. Well, sounds like a good plan. It sounds similar to other parts that we see in Scripture as well. I love the parables, especially ones that give us a fuller picture of Christ and his work in the kingdom. And that's exactly what we have today. So join us, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have the joy and honor of having with us the Reverend Dr. Chris Asher of Resurrection Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Pastor Asher, happy Lent and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Pastor, this is our first time together, um, so tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at Resurrection. Well, let's see. I grew up in the St. Louis area, uh, O'Fallon, Illinois, so my dad was in the military. He was stationed at Scott Air Force Base, so that's at least where I graduated high school. Um, from there, I went over to the University of Kansas in Lawrence, uh, where eventually, after changing majors a few times, Ended up with a degree in elementary, elementary middle education. Uh, it's also the place where I found my wife, Lori. And so uh, as we were uh, getting to know each other better, uh, we also kind of uh, got into this idea of maybe going off to the seminary. Um, so uh, we ended up getting married on May 1st. That's our anniversary of 1999. And then... Uh, I graduated school a couple of weeks later, and by June 1st, we were enrolling in seminary classes and kind of heading out there. So, Ooh, wow. um, yeah. So, um, spent my first, you know, couple of years in seminary, kind of in that 211 format that they've got. Um, uh, so, enjoyed my time at seminary, did my vicarage at uh, Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And then came back for my fourth year where um, my daughter Elizabeth was born. So she was born that last year uh, at seminary. And so um, from there, Call Day took us to Huron, South Dakota. Uh, and that would have been uh, in the spring of 2003. Um, and so I was the assistant pastor at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Huron. And I served there for two and a half years, doing primarily youth um, and, and kind of everything else as part of that. Uh, but youth was kind of my specialty, um, if you can call it that. Um, and then in 2005, in November of 2005, received a call to um, Resurrection Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I have been here ever since. So, um, 
Resurrection is a church at Warren Sioux Falls, which is the um, largest city in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a young congregation and growing, so I'm only the second pastor um, that's been at that congregation. The first guy served about 15 years, and I've been there for uh, almost 17 this year. So um, uh, it's been a nice place for us. Um, it had a Lutheran school as part of it, and that was important to my wife and I as we um, raised our kids. Um, and uh, somewhere along the way, uh, we started to have to get more kids. So um, uh, Daniel was born right after we got here to Sioux Falls. Um, he is 16 now and a sophomore in high school. Um, Luke is 14. He's a freshman in high school. And then our daughter, Rebecca, is 11, and she's in fifth grade. I probably didn't say my oldest uh, daughter, Elizabeth, is 19. She's a freshman over at Seward, where she is getting her um, secondary English ed degree. So um, that's kind of our history and background. Um, Somewhere along the way, um, I got my D-men back at St. Louis. Um, so I think I finished that in 2014, um, and, and a lot of the ministry stuff that we've done over the years, um, uh, we've had some time to start a Lutheran high school here in Sioux Falls, um, of which for about the last five years, I've been teaching theology classes at, um, we also have a Congolese ministry here at Resurrection, uh, so, um, I just had the pleasure of uh, being part of an ordination for our ethnic pastor who went through the EIIT program in St. Louis uh, so that we could do some ministry amongst some of the immigrants uh, that are moving into the Sioux Falls area. So lots of fun stuff, lots of things going on. It's enough to keep you busy. Well, Pastor, you did miss one thing, and that was that you were my intramural captain uh, your fourth year of seminary. Uh, when we had when we had intramurals together, you didn't you didn't that, highlight that. I can't believe it. Well, I, I'm sorry. Yes, we do have we do have a history together. I I got you to play football with me. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> and that's about it. So, Pastor, it is great as to hear how God works in your life and the Word bearing fruit. And now our time to be in God's Word. So, can you begin our time in prayer? Absolutely. Gracious Lord, as we journey to the cross this Lenten season. Call us to repent, that we may seek your faith and the forgiveness that only you offer. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder, if you have any questions concerning our text today, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. As we are, I would say, not slogging around, um, slowly pushing our way through Matthew 21, um, we now come to another parable. We just ended with the parable of the two sons, which is really a great one that sets us forward throughout the book of Matthew. And then we come to the parable of the talents. So what we'll do is we will read all of our verses today, which is verses 33 to 46. Reminder that we are reading from the English Standard Version as we hear the words of Christ. Jesus says, Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. 
And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Finally he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let them out of the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who fails on the, who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. This is our text today, and as we hear this parable, Pastor, what are some uh, contextual or maybe themes you want to highlight to start us off on the right foot? Well, I think the place that you start is uh, the context that you've already introduced as far as we're in Matthew chapter 21. And Matthew chapter 21 is that time that um, is going on uh, after the triumphal entry where Jesus has already uh, come into Jerusalem. It's a time of increasing tension uh, that is going on between Jesus and really the religious authorities as um the tension ratchets up kind of uh, day by day as we move closer and closer to the cross. So over that time, um, you've seen things that are happening, like Jesus cleansing the temple. Uh, you've had uh, right before the parable of the two sons, you have that uh, place where the religious leaders are challenging Jesus, and you have that place where um, uh, there is uh, uh, kind of his, his opportunity to answer the question instead he kind of turns it around on them uh looking at john's baptism um and that sets up a series of parables um you probably looked at the first one the parable of the two sons uh which you know uh really kind of starts in on this and then as you get to our text today you kind of see this place where um there's not a transition it's just moving right from one parable to the next parable. And, and that's what that first uh, line of our, our text says, hear another parable. And, and so he's just moving from one to the next. Um, and really, even as we move into Matthew 22, he moves on to yet another parable doing the same thing, um, uh, teaching a progression of things. So you're still dealing with the information Prior to the parable of the two sons is the reason he's telling this uh, portion of the parable. Now, I'm going to ask a, a simple Sunday school question, a confirmation question. If someone were to ask you, maybe not knowing the Bible very well, or even those who are, they say, what is a parable? It says right away, hear another parable. What would you tell them? What is a parable? Generally, when I teach about parables, the idea of a parable is um, a, a story that kind of teaches kind of a deeper meaning or, or, or has, ha, has 
more freight to it. It's not just a story. Um, it's a story that's intending to convey some uh, truth as part of it. And so, so here you have a... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yo, you keep going. You're on a roll. Keep going. See, see here you have a parable um, that, that kind of uh, Jesus is using. Um, and, and the question is, well, why is he telling this particular parable? Uh, what is this message that this uh, parable is trying to convey? And so as you look at that, um, any, any thoughts on him saying, hear another parable? It's, it's really not common when he has a parable. And, and did you find anything on that? I found that interesting. Um, I didn't really focus uh, so much. On, I'm trying to gap where you're asking him the question there. <laughs> it, it really is. It, it, I don't, I don't necessarily know either. So I was looking for the Reverend doctor to answer for me. No, but it, it's, it's interesting that he just kind of goes and goes and goes and goes. And so it's probably a little bit of, I'm guessing right now, conjecture is that they're probably not listening very well. So it's time for them to listen up again, kind of like throughout this book where he said, behold, and whenever that happens, he's kind of behold, listen up. And so that's, that's something that's conjecture. I didn't really look that part up, but as we, as we look at this parable, I found it interesting that Dr. Gibbs in his commentary spoke about how this terrible is, this parable is terrible too, is, is kind of scary and kind of strange. Um, it's, it's not like many other parables. Uh, and so in general theme, how would you describe this parable to somebody? Well, I think the scary and strange is a, a good description of it. Um, you're dealing with the scariness of it in that um, there's not a lot of hope to it. Um, it's largely um, centered around judgment, that there's there's a, a, a sense of kind of foreboding that kind of comes out of this uh, parable. Um, it's strange because it, it doesn't really make sense. Um, and, and not make sense in a, a, a way of that, that you can't understand it, but it doesn't make sense because people don't act like this. Mm. Um, and, and I guess what I mean by that is, um, as the parable develops, um, it, it, it starts with a context that re really is built on Isaiah chapter five. Um, and that strong Old Testament reference of the vineyard and what that looks like. And so you have this picture, um, and we can go back and read Isaiah 5 if you would like, um, but you have this picture in Isaiah 5 of this um, beautiful vineyard that, that God has taken care of, and, and, and ultimately, even though he does everything right, it only produces uh, wild grapes or, or bitter grapes, however you want to put it. Um, and and he starts with this image that very strongly, I would think, draws the hearer in that would be familiar with that Isaiah 5 passage. Um, there was a master of the house who planted the vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower and leased it to tenants and went to another country. And, and all of that feels like Isaiah 5 stuff, mm. all this care and concern. Uh, that goes into it. Um, and, and, and so it starts off on kind of a, a nice track. Um, it, it, it's open, it's engaging, 
Um, nobody is necessarily on their toes with it. Um, as they're feeling defensive that he's talking about them. Uh, and, and then it kind of changes. Um, in that Isaiah 5 parable, the problem is really the fruit. You know, you're questioning why is there bitter fruit? Um, what did the Lord do wrong? And of course, the Lord did nothing wrong. It was the fruit that's the problem. Here, the, the metaphor switches. And so, um, it, it, it's no longer about fruit so much, um, but it's about the tenant. So you get that when it says, when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed the other, and stoned the other. And so all of a sudden, um, this is that where that, 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 scary or strange place comes in because it's like the, the scratch of a record. All of a sudden, um, that, that beautiful picturesque scene from Isaiah five is, is twisted. Um, and, and, and you start going, oh, wait a second, what, what's going on here? Why would these tenants not give their fruit? This is what you're supposed to do. Um, and, and so it engages you in the conversation with the, the parable and, and you start trying to figure out well, what, what is Jesus saying here? Um, what's the metaphor that he's really pushing at? I would encourage, um, I would encourage our listeners look at Isaiah five, uh, five verses one through seven, because I, I wanted to just highlight this part is you're right. It, it, it is, it, it's showing that love and care that the Lord has for the vineyard it talks about that, you know, that they, they dug it, uh, they planted it, they put a, you know, you, you put something around, you put a tower in it, the whole thing. And, and Isaiah 5 kind of is like, hey, that's a nice story. So I encourage our listeners to read that. We won't be able to read it here this morning. Is then you get to the parable of the tenants and you're feeling really good till verse 34. Like, wow. And you kind of like almost sit back, want to relax. And just like, oh, I can't wait to hear more of this fruitfulness. And then it changes all of a sudden, you know, beat one, killed another and stoned another. Something that we would not understand today, because if there was a dispute or someone, you know, came and, and tried to help, you don't hear of like a story like this that unveils, at least not very often. So it definitely perks up your mind, especially for those who think the Bible is just full of rainbows and unicorns or something. Um, it definitely pulls your attention, no doubt about it. Pastor, as we look at it, go ahead, keep going. I, I would say that that's part of the strangeness, strangeness of this. Um, so he beat one, killed another, stoned another, and then you just keep moving, and he sent other servants, more than the first. And, and that's the place where it completely doesn't identify with our society today. Um, if that happens the first time, um, there's going to be blood. Um, uh, there is no... Uh, redemption to that. There is no, uh, once somebody uh, treats your servants that way, once they fail to pay, pay their rent, uh, if we're doing this in an apartment ways, um, people are kick them out, um, uh, find new tenants. And that's not what happens here. He goes back and he goes back um, over and over again. And it gives you a, a sense of, of why would he do that? 
And, and I don't think that um, I, we're talking about today, but I think even back then in Jesus's day, that would have been just as foreign of a concept. One of those ways that people get drawn into this text is that oddness, that, that um, strangeness of what that's like. And Pastor, as we look at this, now I'm thinking when we look at this parable in this way, there's a, there's a strange and probably terrifying patience of this master that he, he sends more servants there, even though those other ones have been beaten and killed and stoned. And then he sends more. And you first, I've always kind of seen it as he just wasn't very smart. Um, but the way that you're veiling this back, uh, Pastor, is I'm, I'm sensing a, 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 a patient master, a patient master who, for whatever reason, is very committed to this vineyard. And even though it's full of wicked tenants, he still is very committed to this vineyard. Any thoughts? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I think that that idea of a, a loving or merciful. There you go. Um, you know, despite being this whole concept of judgment that's going on in it, in, in when you read the entire parable together, um, but the sense at first is that this is a, a an owner um, who cares not only about the vineyard itself, but about the tenants, um, and cares about the wicked tenants, and so he is giving them every chance uh, to kind of pay their dues, uh, to pay what they owe, um, to, to produce the fruit, uh, that they've agreed to produce. And, and, and so he's sending, um, all sorts of options out there. And even when they're abused, even when they're mistreated, even when they're killed, um, he, he doesn't just wipe them off the face of the earth. Um, he continues in that gentleness, um, even to the extreme point of, of eventually sending his son. Um, and, and, and this is the place where the strangeness gets, um, well, downright absurd. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I have two boys. I, I can't think if I was in the situation um, that I would send either of my boys in a situation where they had beaten and murdered um, my own uh, servants, that they would somehow uh, treat the son better. And yet somehow this owner does, and, and it doesn't seem to be out of ignorance. It doesn't seem like he's a fool. Um, uh, it, it, it's more of a, a trusting or, or, or a loving background that goes into it. And as we look at the servants that they beat and killed and stoned, I've heard, I've heard a number of different thoughts on this, um, that, that that's symbolic for something greater. Did you find anything on that? Um, well, I mean, are, are you looking at like who they stand for? Right. Uh, right. Okay. Um, so anytime you have a parable, one of the correlations that you're trying to do, um, is try and match up. Okay. He's telling this story, this parable. And, and when he does it, he's often relating different people, uh, into the story. Um, uh, and, and so uh, when you look at the owner, generally in parables, um, uh, the owner tends to be God himself. 
uh, the, the maker creator of everything. Um, and, and, and so that's the, the description you see fulfilled here. And then the question is, who are these tenants? Uh, not, not the tenants, but who are the, um, slaves to these hands? Um, and, and it seems to be a picture of, uh, you know, when you get a picture of people who are being beaten or killed, uh, you think of your Old Testament prophets and some of the things that they go through. Uh, so you grab a guy like Jeremiah and you look at all of the uh, different things that he had to, to go through in order to uh, prophesy God's word to his people, uh, but sometimes in very demonstrable and very um, punishing ways um, to carry that off. Um, so I, I think, is that where you were going with, with oh. that question? I, I, you know what, I didn't, I, I, I read a number of different things and clearly there's an oh, Old okay. Testament connection to this. And I think it's very clear that it's there. We don't want to go too far with it and try to act like every single detail. And you said that very well, but clearly there's a, it, there's a master who would say to be God. And then there's, uh, uh, and, 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 and what, let's break that down in that way. Who are the tenants? As you're looking at this, who would you say the tenants are in this parable? Well, see, that's where you would get to the connection of Matthew 21 and that um, understanding the context of which uh, Matthew 21 is written. So if you just take, like we're doing today, um, this text and, and you take it apart from Matthew 21, um, it's kind of obscure. You don't exactly have who those are. But when you have the context as um, the second of three parables told back to back to back of um, religious leaders who are questioning the authority of Jesus, um, it seems pretty clear that the people that he is talking to are the religious leaders. Um, in fact, it, 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 I don't want to jump too far ahead, but later on in the parable, um, at the end, it says when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Uh, so not only do they um, understand the parable, but they understand quite clearly um, that this is directed towards them, uh, that this judgment that comes out of this um, is really focused in their direction. I want to talk more about that, but we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 21 with Pastor Chris Asher, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 21 with Pastor Chris Asher of Resurrection Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, Pastor, on the other, on the other side of our break, you, I mean, you're, you're on a roll here. We're talking about breaking down this um, parable, and it definitely, I mean, you can tell right away that there is, he is speaking to somebody, and especially when you look at um, 
uh, chapter 21 with the parable of the two sons. Before that, even the cleansing of the temple, there is clearly a, he is going against the institution and, and how the religious leaders are leading and doing. And the moment they would think about this, you would envision quite anxiety or frustration, or hopefully fear um, that, hey, wait a second. Is he saying that we killed the prophets? Is he saying that we did this? Is he, what is he going after here? What do you think the, the feeling of the, the Pharisees as they hear this and maybe hopefully understand it, what would have been going through their minds? I, I think definitely that that's the attitude that that comes in is um, a, a sense of um, conflict um, between God's um, sending of his prophets to kind of carry out his mission and the way that the religious leaders um, are responsible for rejecting that or leading God's people um, in that direction uh, as part of it. Um, but then, you know, so they're looking at that, but it's almost a call of repentance. Um, it, it's a way in which what he's trying to do is, is get them to be aware of where they've been in the past and don't make this mistake again. And so in doing that, he, he kind of transitions from, okay, I've sent these Old Testament prophets, I've sent more Old Testament prophets, and you keep rejecting them, you keep beating them, you keep killing them, uh, you're rejecting them. And that's where you see um, kind of this, this, this beauty, um, this mercy that's coming from the owner um, towards sending his son. And that's going to be the, the, the freight of this because Jesus was kind of doing something as he um, foreshadows what's about to happen in the next couple of days um, as this tension escalates uh, to the point where ultimately uh, Jesus is strung up on a cross, although the parable is handling it in a different way. Uh, it is taking him and, and how do they put it? Finally, uh, he sent his son. They will respect him, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So there's this picture of this um, son being thrown out of the vineyard. Um, and, and I wonder if that's a parable or if that, that's you know connected to uh, Jesus being crucified outside of Jerusalem mm -hmm. um, and all of the connections that go in with that. Uh, There's definitely, yeah. Pastor, a lot of, of, of connections we can make. And I really love how he's sending the son, and it's clearly not. Let me, actually, let me read 37 through 40. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? You know, he ends the parable with a question. But you, you've, you've really pointed out the reality that this master, this father, doesn't seem to like throw his son out there in, in haste and like, you know what? I'm just gonna just keep throwing things out at them. These people are these people are crazy. I'm just gonna throw out the sun. 
And it's not that he's not well-educated or understood. It seems like he runs a pretty good vineyard, um, a fruitful vineyard. The problem is the tenants. So he's doing this patiently and ultimately lovingly to send his son. And while well, the people don't have it, and they send him out. But I, I'm fascinated to think about the master in that scenario. What, any thoughts on him sending his son and, and, and how he does so? Well, you know, it, as I hear you kind of recap it like that, um, where my mind keeps jumping is actually back um, uh, to the previous um, section before the parable begins. Um, it, as the authority of Jesus is questioned and you're bringing in, um, uh, Jesus brings in uh, the question of the authority uh, the authority of John the Baptist and his baptism, where does it come from? And, and so there's a lot of places in this um, where John the Baptist gets brought in with his message of repentance. Um, and just like the call of the parable of the two sons, and there's, there's a, a question of um, you have the opportunity to repent then, uh, and you have the re- opportunity to repent now, which one's the right way? Um, here's another call to repentance. And so as the son is standing right in front of the tenants, um, which is literally being played out as he's telling the story, um, it's a place where what the right answer is, is to fall on your knees and repent. And instead what happens is you have these, um, chief priests, these teachers of the law, who dig in, they harden, they crystallize um, against the sun, and Jesus is out there calling him on it. This is exactly what you're doing. Um, and, and just boldly um, uh, showing exactly what's going to happen. I'm reminded of Nathan and David in the Bible, <laughs> that you have this the second Samuel reality that, that Nathan is pointing out the sin of David. And, and then he kind of ends it like, what should happen to this guy? And, you know, and David's like, wow, you should destroy this guy, you know, get rid of him. And then Nathan kind of just brings down the whole, you know, whole gauntlet upon him at that moment. And that's, kinda, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here as well. So the Pharisees have heard this. The religious leaders have heard this. Let's read uh, this verse 41 and he, see their reaction. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to let out the vineyard to the other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. So, I mean, the religious leaders hear this and what's their response? I think that's the key to this is their response is not to repent, it's to dig in. And just like the um uh, David and Solomon, or David and Nathan, parable that you mentioned earlier, David's immediate place is to be cut to the heart and repent. And instead, they kind of dig in, and you see it in the way that they respond with a very firm, um, well, he should put them to death and let the vineyard out to other towns. And of course, that's what he's going to do. <laughs> because that's where their hearts are. Right. It, 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 it's 
even though he's calling them to repent, um, there's also an acknowledgement that there is a judgment out there uh, and that they're refusing, that they are so hardened and crystallized uh, in what they're doing that, that they're just going to continue the way that they're going. To me at this point, there's a certain amount of grief that you feel when you hear this because you see obvious sin, you see an obvious, um, the master has given you a good vineyard. This is not a matter of him coming in and saying, okay, you're out or you're, you're eliminated. It's, it's just a, a, a certain amount of grief of one, their wickedness two, their lack of repentance. And, 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 and pastor, what way is this important for us to keep in mind? Cause we can easily look at the Pharisees and go, how dare them. But why is this important for us to remember who we are in the midst of this parable? Well, I think, you know, part of this is our mentality uh, sometimes is the same way that the Pharisees is. Um, that, that, that it's, uh, well, this makes sense. And, and logically, it does make sense, right? Um, you, you send your soldiers. You do all these things. You kick them out. You, you put new tenants in that are going to do what they uh, are supposed to do. And yet, Jesus works in a totally different way. Um, and, and, and the uh, mercy that goes into this, the forgiveness that goes into this, um, and that's some of that when, when you said scary and strange, and that's part of the strangeness um, of this, that Jesus would work in a, a way that's, that's totally different. Yes, there is judgment because that's where they were, but there's a call to repentance for all of us. There's a place for all of us that we have to look at our lives and go, well, I've been there. I've done that too often. And um, Lord, have mercy on me um, in all of this. That, that's the right response that they just don't make. It's, this is a reminder for us. Uh, bring us back to chapter 21, and this goes back to when Jesus cleansed the temple. Matthew's the only one that has this, where it comes back and in verses 14 through 17, where, you know, the, the temple is, quote, cleansed, or he's, you know, he's, he's, he's calling out the institution. And the chief priests and scribes saw all those going on, that the blind and the lame are coming in and being healed, and they hear the children crying to the temple. And they're like, did you hear this? They're basically saying to one another. And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read? And they do Psalm 8. Here, same reaction, really, is they're like, well, you, you know, this is what we would do in that scenario. And then Jesus says, verse 42, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Pastor, what is he quoting, and what is he trying to say? Or what is he saying? Again, trying? no, I, I think he's going back to Psalm 118, um, verse 22. That gets used multiple times in scriptures. Um, that must have been one of his favorite go-to verses. Mm -hmm. um, with the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, uh, the capstone. But it is this... Uh, Place where uh, people are tripped up. Um, this this is the the, the uh, what the gospel's about. Um, do you get it or do you get not? Um, and, and the stumbling block is Jesus Himself. Um, and the 
teachers, the law, the, the old regime, however you want to put it, um, doesn't get that for them. It's very much a, a religion of work of doing it your own way or the right way. Um, and, and accomplishing it that way. And, and Jesus is showing quite literally what, what's going to happen uh, in the next few days, uh, the precious gospel where, uh, he will go to the cross to suffer and die to forgive even their sin. I'm reminded of the hymn, Christ is our cornerstone on, on him alone we build. And, and that's just uh, 912 in the Lutheran service book that he is <laughs> quite literally just pointing out, I'm that guy, you know, that, that, that this is your cornerstone. This is the foundation of which everything is built. And he's making it very, very explicit because in previous times he quotes the old Testament and it shows that there's a fulfillment, um, like in, in, uh, verse, uh, say verse 16, He's just speaking about, hey, even children understand this, but now he's just, he's as blatant, like you said, bringing out that, you know, that pure gospel, that precious gospel of that he will, he has been rejected, but he has become the, he will become the foundation. And that is one of the most, I think, crystal centric aspects that I almost see in the whole, in the whole gospel of Matthew before the, before the passion, obviously in the resurrection to show them that I'm your guy, I'm the one. Uh, I am here for you. I'm, the father is that patient master and, and you are the ones who are not listening. But yet with that proclamation, he is telling them you still have a chance, if you will. Is that, is that a correct way to put this? I think so. There is this strange um, tension at the same time. Of, uh, you have this wonderful piece of, uh, of grace and forgiveness. And, and yet at the same time, if you reject that grace and forgiveness. Um, it, it, it is the cornerstone crushes you um, under its own weight. Um, and, and you just become overwhelmed by that. Well, let's, let's read the passages on that, Pastor, verses 43 and 44. So Jesus doesn't stop with Psalm 118, is that, you know, there's the pure gospel, like, this is great, but also, you know, uh, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, 43 and 44. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Now, Pastor, like you said, you have an education degree. How would you break this down? Because there's kind of a lot of connections that, um, and maybe, like you said, kind of scary and strange as we look at this and a little bit of grief. So how would you break this down? These are important verses. Um, you know, as, as you're coming to 43, I think you look at that and it, it refers back to their own answer um, in 41, where he says, he will put those residues to a miserable death, let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruits in their seasons. And, and, and that's definitely a, a reference that is going on here. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. But now all of a sudden he's taking this parable and he's making it clear that we're not just talking about a literal vineyard here. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Um, and, and this is where the death 
of the judgment comes in um, that that these tenants are not just removed from the vineyard, but they're removed from the kingdom of God. That they're removed from his people, and then it's given to somebody else. And the picture that I kind of see here um, is where Paul goes in Romans 11, uh, where he starts talking about another vineyard, where he talks about um, uh, Jews and Gentiles, where he talks about the, the, the grafting uh, that goes on, um, how... Uh, one vine is, or one branch is grafted in, and uh, the the bad branches are removed, um, kind of pulling on the same thread of vineyards um, and, and the kingdom of God. And, and so, there's kind of a picture here to me of God saying, um, "You religious leaders, uh, you're going to be removed from the kingdom, and it's going to be given to new people." Um, and I see a lot of, of movement towards the Gentiles there, uh, that being the, the, the new people who would come into that. And this is important for our own preaching today, that the time is near, if I can say it that way, that there is this reality that God is patient and kind, that God you know, is, is loving and merciful like the Master but also there is a line that is drawn. There's a line in the sand. And if you go over this line, there's no turning back, if I can say it that way. I'm trying, I'm trying to think, choose my words wisely here. And, and you wisely have brought in Romans 11 into this, is that it isn't like God's like, that's okay, pat me on the head. You know, you're, you're pretty good or you're, you're doing pretty well. No, there's, there's, if you are wicked, you are no longer in that vineyard. And, and, and that's an, why, why is that an important reality for us as Christians to remember as we proclaim, as we love and care for others? Well, I mean, you almost, I, I, we're not using the words, and he doesn't in this parable, but you almost expect the words weeping and gnashing of teeth right. uh, to be a part of this. Um, but there's a place where you're outside of the kingdom, and whether it's ourselves, whether it's people in our lives, um, uh, one of the things that we bring into this is uh, nobody wants to be left on the outside or to have their loved ones left on the outside. Um, and, and, and so there's an awareness. Well, he is talking directly to the religious leaders. He is talking to those individuals and he is um, uh, pointing his finger very directly at what will ultimately lead to his own death and ultimately to his own resurrection. I think there's a place where we can glean from that, um, uh, that man, there is a judgment day. Uh, there is a place where, um, if, if I'm not putting my trust in the right place and, and, and that trust here is, is very firmly squared on the shoulders of the sun, um, then I'm going to be left out of the kingdom. And this is a reminder for you, our listeners is. Um, this is something that we can greatly grieve because we're fearing for people's souls, let alone our own. Um, and, and it's, it's good for us to be able to say this with full conviction, with clarity of what scripture is saying, knowing full well that it's not like we have a master who is just quickly just boom, boom, boom out, but is greatly 
merciful and patient, even to the point of sending his own son for us. And in that, which is our cornerstone that we can build off of, we are able to proclaim even more joyfully the truth that there is um, in Christ and pray, pray, pray for loved ones who are, and other people that we know that, that seem to be um, on the outside. And Pastor, what would your encouragement be for our listeners who have loved ones, who have people that, that were connected in the church and others that appear right now to be on the way outside of the vineyard? What would you, how would you encourage them today? I think the best way we can do that is continue to point to the song. Uh, continue to point to um, his grace and his mercy to send prophet after prophet after prophet. Um, and yet at the same time, ultimately send his son um, to suffer and die and rise, um, which isn't super brought out in this portion of text as it's pushing forward uh, to his crucifixion, but it's definitely there, um, you know, that that this is the place where it all hinges on, the hope in Jesus Christ, what he's done for all, uh, not in uh, our own abilities or our own uh, 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 fulfilling of the law, whatever that might be. It's not that the, we're, we're good people, but ultimately it, it, it's trusting in what Christ has done for all. And, and so the more you can encourage uh, friends and loved ones, um, people who are struggling with this, uh, to see um, the balance of this judgment and mercy all contained here um, and, and, and this cornerstone that that is, is what we build our faith on, but also what crushes those who do not believe um, it all kind of fits together. Let's read the rest of our parable and then come back. We have about five minutes left in our time. Come back and to get some general themes as we look at, as we look back on today's powerful parable, verse 45 and 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Okay. Let's stop right there, actually. So, okay. They realize that he is railing on them at this point. And, and pastor, what are we hoping right now in verse 45 that how will they, uh, how will they respond? What are we hoping for? We're hoping for repentance yet again. <laughs> it's uh, you hope that they are, that they open up their Lutheran service book and say, I, a poor miserable sinner confess unto you all my sins and iniquities. And well, that's what we're hoping for. And that's what we hope every single day for our own lives. But verse 46, and although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. And what was their response? Uh, it was not repentance, that's for sure. Um, so they, they definitely are looking at this, and um, uh, you almost see a hardening of the heart as they look for a way um, to take Jesus out of the picture. And so uh, can we arrest him? Well, we look around. Nope, because the crowd who may not be sure exactly who Jesus is, uh, but he is a prophet. He is a man of God. Um, he is not somebody to be trifled with at this point. Um, so they're going to look for a way to do it privately. It reminds me in a certain way of, of Peter walking on the water 
that he's walking on the water and it's when he saw the wind that he, you know, started to sink. And for here, you would hope that what they see is Christ and they're, they're like, oh my gosh, I want to believe, but I'm afraid of the persecution I'll go through. I'm afraid of this might be, well, they don't even have that. And, and the only reason that they're not acting out in a lack of faith or as wicked tenants in the same way that we hear in the parable is because they're afraid of the believers who, who believe in this guy. So it's, it's twisted on every single level. <laughs> it's not even twisted on a minor level is that they're not even on the right starting line. They're out of the stadium. You know, they're in the whole different realm and they're not even close um, to believing in the cornerstone that will be their foundation. And that's why this parable can, like, like we talked about at the beginning, be scary and strange because they just don't get it. So pastor, we have a few more minutes in our time. How would you uh, uh, encourage our listeners and summarize this parable in our readings today? You know, um, in a, a, you know, I want to go back. It it is a direct parable against those religious leaders. Um, And and I think keeping that context is important uh, as part of it. And and it'll bleed into uh, chapter 22 as Jesus is really uh, not only uh, calling them to repentance, um, but he is also um, creating some of the tension that ultimately takes them to the cross. And I think that part of this, um, Jesus knows full well what he's doing. He knows full well that even though he's calling them to repentance, they're going to reject him. Uh, that they are going to reject this cornerstone. Um, and, and in doing so, he is knowingly and willingly going to the cross to suffer and die for us. Um, that, that this is part of his passion, uh, if you will, um, uh, his love and forgiveness for sinners like us. Uh, and so there is a place then based on that foundation that we take the uh, the warnings that he gives to these Pharisees, uh, to these uh, chief priests, to these religious leaders, uh, and, and we look at our own hearts and we repent. We repent uh, of the things that we've done, of the, the times when we have failed to trust in the Son, uh, or where we have failed to provide the fruits of our faith in so many different ways. Um, and, and as we do trust in the Son, uh, the beautiful part of it uh, is um, He redeems us and grafts us into the body of Christ, um, calls us to be His children, and, and gives us uh, eternal life that, that, that He is promising, you know, that He brings us into that reign of God that He talks about. Pastor Chris Asher of Resurrection Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 21. Pastor Asher, thank you for bringing us his gifts. God bless you all. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. <laughs>